Hi, you're about to listen to Dirty Laughs Podcast. When life doesn't give you the success you planned, grab a microphone and your three best friends and put on a show anyway. Hi guys. Hi. We're currently waiting for Sam because she overslept this morning and we're waiting for her to join. So she will jump on at some point. I am shaking my head right now. How dare she? Can I point out? I was nearly on time today. Oh, oh, here she is. <laughs> ah, you're nearly on time. I'm half an hour late. <laughs> you're probably going to get around to this, but your microphone is currently not on the correct setting. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. So I am doing our opening question this week, but how do you feel about just for one week mixing things up? Change? Because... The musical that I am going to tell the story of links in, just by chance, links into the question then the kind of research that I've looked at. So I was thinking it might actually be nice to hear that first. Yeah, go on. I'm intrigued now. I embrace it. Behind the All right, so... The musical that we're going to learn about this week is Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Yes! Yes. This is what I wanted to know about, okay? I've never heard of this. I was driving the other day and I was, this came on my like shuffle, like Natasha Pierre, and I was thinking, what? the hell is going on because it's manic i love this musical it's insane and let me tell you the story and the journey of it is a wild ride i've actually never heard of this musical or this concept at all and i am now intrigued well strap in harriet because it is a roller coaster got me coffee i'm snuggled in (laughs) i'm ready for story time so (laughs) natasha pierre and the great comet of 1812 is a sung through musical adaptation of a 70 page segment from leo tolstoy's 1869 novel war and peace it's written by a man called dave malloy who wrote all of it so he wrote the music lyrics and book he describes the music as merging russian folk and classical music with indie rock and electronic dance music and he calls it an electro pop opera he was working as a pianist on a cruise when he decided to read the novel War and Peace and he really connected to the main character Pierre and his quote is he just sees so much love and meaning in the world but has a hard time understanding how to access it for himself um the novel is crazy long if anyone has read it given that it's extremely long he chose the last 70 pages of the book apparently the entire musical is in the key of E minor I haven't sat down and actually double checked that but apparently that is the case The opening song, which I think is great, interestingly was one of the last songs to be written because he got lots of feedback from anyone that looked at it saying it was really hard to understand what was going on because he'd come into the story midway through it. So I guess at a certain point, he kind of did it out of spite that he wrote a song for a bit of a joke that basically is really like in your face. This is like this character and this is one sentence about who they are and where they have come until now. And then the next character walks in and they name them and they tell you who they are. It literally is a full song of like introducing every character one at a time. The ensemble literally say like, listen to us or you won't understand the plot. And it's like really like tongue in cheek, but it worked. So he kept it in, even though it was a bit of a joke. 
So it was originally performed in a tiny theatre, an 87-seat theatre in Hell's Kitchen in New York, with Malloy, the writer, playing the lead role of Pierre. The show moved to a pop-up Russian supper club in the meatpacking district in New York. It was described as a downtown sensation. Every actor interacted with everyone and it was very, very immersive. And you were at this like Russian aristocratic party, basically. People had vodka at their tables. They had caviar served to them. You were sat at these like little dinner tables. They had like the police arrived at one point because they thought that it was some kind of like illegal goings on, going ons in like some car park. Audience members started fights because they got really drunk. They had people vomiting into their bags in like the middle of the show. Like it sounds like it was absolutely insane. It obviously got so much interest in these smaller runs that it picked up momentum and it did eventually get moved to Broadway in 2016 and a lot of that changed so they tried to recreate some of it it's still partially immersive they have these they had these like walkways all through the theater all through the audience so that the actors could come and interact with you they had seating on stage that was like cabaret style dining tables and those people did still have alcohol and things so there'll be a few some people of the audience would be sat on stage like they were in a party at this point Dave Malloy handed over the role to Josh Groban. Uh, Critics loved it, fans loved it, it was nominated for Tony Awards, it won a few Tony Awards and it was just very like, people found it really exciting. Then Josh Groban left the show in July 2017. Now I'm gonna pronounce this guy's name wrong. I'm gonna attempt it (laughs) and then I'm gonna shorten it. Okirreet. Anna Dowen, who knows if that's right. I'm really sorry for butchering that, but he's known as Oak for short. So that's why I'm going to call him is Oak. He took over from Josh Groban. He was in the original cast of Hamilton playing Hercules Mulligan slash James Madison. Oh, him. I love him. So he was cast to take over and he had really good reviews, but the sales did drop with Josh Groban leaving to the point that they thought they were going to close. It is worth noting at this point, there was two lead actors in the show were black and they were playing rich white Russian people from the 1800s, like, which was very unusual in that context in Broadway. And it, you know, obviously represented a big step forward for like diversity and equality and stuff. With the ticket sales dropping, I think they may have panicked and they cast Mandy Patinkin to come in to boost sales, uh, who is a Broadway actor. He's also like a screen um, actor as well. But that was, I mean, really it was like two weeks after Oak had started the role. Um, They were just like, we're getting someone else in and he wasn't really a part of that decision. He was just told. We need someone that's gonna bring in money. And they cast an older white actor doesn't help (laughs) i don't like it the whole theater community were very unimpressed as they should be the actor oak that was dismissed he has since spoken out about his treatment and and been quite damning of it and he's described that step forward in diversity as being all for show he obviously was like okay cool i'm not coming back to the show everyone was very angry about it it did not boost their ticket sales then mandy patinkin was like i didn't know what was going on he just thought i just got cast in a show he had no understanding of anything behind that and so then he said i'm not going to do it either because i don't want to be a part of this so dave malloy the writer stepped back into the lead role of pierre and it closed a few weeks later and it's never reopened oh wow 
as someone who had never even heard of this musical or story before, I was like, I started off being like, what is this? Then the more you talked about it, I was then getting to the point where I was like, I would, what is this still on? When's this coming to the West End? I'd go watch this. And then I was like, and now I automatically dislike this show because of the choices made. I know, it's so difficult because I still would so love to go and see the show. And I get that they need money. I do understand that they need money, but like, look, it's like, look after your actors, isn't it? That is Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. It's very interesting. What shall we discuss this week? What shall we discuss this week? Show us what you learnt this week. I watched this documentary, which is on Disney Plus, called Howard. You may have watched it. Um, If you've not watched it, I really, really do recommend it. It's really interesting. It's about Howard Ashman, who is a lyricist, and he wrote a lot of the lyrics for Disney movies um, before he passed away uh, while they were making Beauty and the Beast. His story is very interesting. He wrote musicals before he went to Disney, the most famous one being Little Shop of Horrors. So he wrote this musical Smile. It did really well in their off-Broadway run, uh, in their small theatre, and it got moved to Broadway, where it just failed really miserably. And he fell out with the person that he was working on it with, and they never remained friends after that. And basically, he was like, I don't want to do Broadway anymore. And it kind of really like disillusioned him. And I thought this is an interesting topic off the back of learning about uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Should everything make it to a big theatre? Should everything be on, say, Broadway or on the West End? And off the back of that, what makes something successful? What makes a successful show or a successful piece of work? I, I think it can sometimes have the Broadway hype by keeping it exclusive in that small place. For example, do you remember when we all went to go see Sweeney Todd in that pie shop in London? Yeah, it was so good. We went to go see an immersive Sweeney Todd and it was set in a pie shop and it was like we were sitting down having pie and mash. We had pie and mash in London and the actors and they just came and sat down by us. Sweeney Todd comes along, he's putting knives under people's throats. It was one of the best performances I personally have ever seen. Now, had that been, for example, at the Palace, yeah, it would have been it been good because it had been Sweeney Todd and all of that. At the Palace? Like Buckingham Palace? No, it's in like the other Palace. Oh, okay. <laughs> if it had been at Buckingham Palace. <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's why it's called the other Palace, isn't it? I like that you went for a small theatre. I mean, I was still keeping it small, but you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, part of what made that show amazing was that it was small and you felt like you were really in the story. I think it really does depend on the show and how it is set out. And I do feel immersive theatre should be kept fully immersive. Success only me- measures up to what goes right, I suppose. So from up until that point with Nat- Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet, that was successful. They can take that and say, we had a successful show. We made a few mistakes later on, but it was successful. I think often with when shows make it to like a bigger stage, like a, like a Broadway stage, I think often that failure puts the writing, the creative team like almost off the show and off, like it makes them think that they can never do it. You know, like in that documentary with Howard Ashman, it really seemed like he took that failure of that musical on Broadway so deeply. I think it's like important, isn't it? That there's nothing to say you shouldn't try. Like, I feel like 
if you have an opportunity, I guess, to go on a bigger stage and you feel like it might be the right thing to do, then why not give it a go? If you think you can make it work, then like absolutely go for it. But yeah, like you say, hold on to the success. Not everything is gonna fit that. And for us, it's actually better to like really craft your whole thing for where the level at where it currently is at and really embrace that. And then I don't know what the answer is to how you stop that failure from shutting you down if it if it does. Because I, I think I, I'm sure I'd find that hard if I brought something to Broadway and then it failed that badly, I would struggle. <laughs> For me, it's all about kind of good intentions. So you do things with good intentions. Just relate back to Natasha Pierre. When it got to the bit of going to Broadway, it kind of felt like we were doing this for the money and not because we felt that that was the next step of the show because the show has grown so much, it has to go to Broadway. There's no other vision for it. If you if you do things with good intentions the whole time, then there's nothing really that can set you into a spiral because you know I'm happy with whatever happens now. Yeah, I think as well, sometimes you can just let it run. I mean, look at Les Mis, just leave it be, it grows itself. Every now and then, they whack out a movie, <laughs> change it up a little bit once every 25 years. At the start, it didn't. I don't think they just wrote a show and just handed the script over and were like, there you go, let it run. Oh, no, no, I mean, like, once it's once it's up and running and it is considered a success, if it stops working, then it's this from there. Don't know if this is the point that you were making, but... <laughs> Every show is going to end at some point, right? It's so rare that a run lasts for a long amount of time and we don't consider all of them to be failures. I mean, to be fair, I think I speak for all of us when I say if we could get this musical into any theatre, I count that as a success. Doing a one-off show of it will be a success to me. (laughs) Time to write a musical. So we started writing various things and last week we looked at a scene and we kind of edited it and we had a look at conversation between some characters in a pub. Our overall concept for anyone who is not aware is about the battle of your head and heart, but we're going to kind of visualise that in a real life adventure with two people and then discover later on that they are the head and heart inside someone's mind as they're battling with themselves last week or last time we were like writing the scene in the pub between the friends and then we came to joe's speech and we were like we'll come back to that i had a thought that we could together work out what we want the speech to be and then i think there could be something really nice about us all looking at it then by ourselves and coming back with like a almost performance of it i'm happy with that or we can all go away and write a speech and then come back and perform it for me i like what we did last time where we pulled all the ideas together to then create something because I, I like it when it bounces off things that's just for me personally but i don't mind either way i'm easy like i will do anything whatever harriet is comfortable with we will do cool okay we go away and we write it but today we talk about realistically what do we want to touch upon within that monologue so what is joe's goal um what like their journey so you know mentally where do they start where do they end how do they think everyone will react or do they care they might they might not care at this point i feel like the joe character so far is like 
they're gonna hate me and i think that's what joe's character has been up until this point but because this is a turning point i wonder she's like a fuck it i'm gonna make them feel bad for making me feel bad for me when i've been in that situation before it's like something has broken in me where i've gone i don't care what they think you see red yeah it's like for once they have done that thing of going I don't care how they react. I don't have an idea of what they're going to say. I'm not bothered about it. They can be upset. They can be angry. I no longer care. Yeah. If it's a journey from A to B mentally for Joe, what is A and what is B? Where do they start and where do they end in the course of this speech? An element of it is A is mess and confusion and B is clarity. Yeah. That kind of switch from being like overwhelmed to i don't know if confidence is the right word (laughs) it's almost like talking that confidence into you so the line before with the before the wall of noise is it not kind of embarrassing though they could be like like like, it is embarrassing i'm embarrassed and then go i'm embarrassed of how i've acted i'm embarrassed that i'm friends with you now (laughs) that could be kind of a, a trigger point is it not kind of embarrassing though that's a harsh thing to say yeah well if you think about it being a wall of noise that joe essentially cuts through that wall of noise makes it silent and then starts talking their initial their initial goal might just be like to make everyone shut up yeah because there's all this mess in their head and there's this mess outside of their head and they just just want it done yeah you know like when you start suddenly saying things that have been in your head often you're surprised by what's coming out of your own mouth (laughs) (laughs) it's like sometimes when you say all that mess out loud then you're like oh sorry i don't even think it anymore now i've said it (laughs) yeah once it's out you're like oh i don't even think that anymore yeah i'm done now (laughs) but i've spent years thinking about it and i thought i really believed it deeply (laughs) (laughs) And I said it, and it sounds ridiculous. And yeah. I know it's ridiculous. Now I'm embarrassed. Now I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. I'll go back being quiet again. <laughs> also, um, just on a practical level, this probably should have been the first thing we actually thought of, is at the beginning of the speech, Joe hasn't made a decision. But by the end of the speech, they essentially are ready to make a decision on what job they're going to take. So actually, on a, just a practical level... <laughs> Plot-wise, that's probably the big change shift, like shift that happens in this moment, isn't it? Have made a decision. Well then, Sam, take it away. Right. Okay. And Lin Manuel said he likes to present stuff to make it better. Okay. This needs making better. <laughs> I'm not a musician in any way, shape, or form. I try and teach myself little bits, but can we bear that in mind? Are we all good with that? I was working on some melodies, and I had this idea. I was thinking about having different melodies for different people. I specifically worked on Corey and Ali. When they're separated, obviously there's two different melodies going on. And then when they've come together, there's a mix of the two melodies. This is Corey. There's Corey. See, these can change because I've literally written (laughs) loads of different, like, melodies that I was like working on and next to it I've put lame lamer lamest (laughs) (laughs) so then we have Ali I like them they're quite pretty so then you've got the the D of Corey and the of Ali coming together for the 
something along those lines. I like it. I like it too. Well done. I mean, for my limited extent of piano music knowledge. So I'll specifically ask Ailish then, because she's the musician out of all of us. Ailish can take this one. You can change those. No, no, I like them. I think they sound nice. They sound good. They sound like they would fit together. I think it would be fun to look deeper into the notes and how they fit with the kind of characters and the personality to maybe get something that's, you know, a bit more defined to like Ali being logical and like almost mathematical kind of style and things like that. Yeah. And I like, I love that idea. I really love that thing in musicals when people have almost like a kind of little, I don't know what you call it, but you know, like their own sort of thing that comes up multiple times like they do in the holiday like jack black <laughs> yeah that is what i thought of was the holiday but like that you can have upbeat versions and you can yeah. have like more kind of like you know in minor um keys and like, you can like switch it up so that it fits to different vibes and things like that um yeah I like I really like the concept I like I do I do really like the melodies I think like obviously that we can play with them as time goes on and how they fit but yeah I think it's great okay good come and join Sam's social network she's here for you oh we're gonna say hello to Claire Bear Say hi, Claire Bear. Hi, Claire Bear. Hi, Claire Bear. Claire Bear has asked, well, she's called Claire. With your talk on celebrity stunt casting, how do you feel about the casting of the new Wicked film? Hmm. So Ariana Grande as Glinda and Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba. And James fucking Corden as Dr. Dillerman. Have they actually cast him? I didn't think they'd actually announced anyone else. There's literally petitions all over the internet. I haven't signed them. But I understand. I'm going to be really honest with you and say I'm not annoyed about it. I love Cynthia Erivo and I think she's going to be really good as Alphaba. Yeah. Yeah. Cynthia Erivo, what a choice. She's the incredible choice and I'm buzzing to see her Alphaba. Same. I'm not against Ariana Grande. She wouldn't be my first choice. However, they're going to need people who don't know the stage show to come and see it and that is gonna get that to happen yeah yeah i love her it's a pop star i think she's i actually really enjoy her pop music when she was in hairspray's penny i understand the casting that is her castability same as glinda i didn't like her as penny personally because i felt that she was riffing it too hard and she was making it too poppy for what it was if she'd have kept it pure only thrown a couple of riffs in every now and then for maybe just you know spicing up one or two moments that is it it would have been phenomenal i think maybe acting wise i think yeah you know what there are there better people out there probably however like you said i understand the celebrity casting it's not a bad celebrity casting there are worse there are better people there are worse people she did start in musical theater before she went to screen acting she yeah she's musical theater og I think she'll do really well if she can hold off riffing every third line. But it's also worth noting with that, that if that's what they go with, that's not on her. That is the decision of like the direction and and the producing. Like that will be a lot down to what they decide. Oh, 100%. I'm not unhappy about it. I'm interested. I'm, I'm quite 
fascinated to see what her take on Glinda's going to be. On the James Corden thing, do I think he's a, he's actually not bad at musical theatre? No, he's not bad. My trouble is, I feel like he's like the token musical theatre person. So it makes it gimmicky. And you know what? James Corden isn't actually a bad performer. But yeah, the trouble is, it's, I feel, and this isn't entirely his fault, he's, because it's gimmicky, it says, oh, let's just throw James Corden as that character. You know, in, in reality, he's obviously has talent, like, you know, and I'm not against him being cast in things. Um, I'm not as angry about it as a lot of people are. I think the petition's a bit out of hand. I think creating petitions for something like that, to be honest, I just think, get a life. <laughs> that will make you feel shit, whether you like James Corden or not. I do feel for him there. You're a human being. I don't feel like anyone deserves to be a target of mass hatred. No. Because it's not, it's honestly not, like, there are more important things in life. <laughs> we would, we would love to hear your thoughts on the Wicked casting. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. It's been, it's been so highly anticipated, hasn't it, for years. Yeah, it's yeah. a big deal. Thanks, Claire. Claire Bear. Claire Bear. If you want to get in touch, you can like or follow us oh no wait how do i do it if you want to get in touch you can email us at dirty la at podcast fucking hell (laughs) (laughs) if you want to get in touch you can email us podcast at dirty uk, or you can like and follow us on instagram at dirty last podcast the same for tiktok jesus christ harriet's head scratcher scratch your head now does your tongue ever rest no your tongue constantly moves it's a muscle it constantly moves there you go there's it see you later everyone (laughs) also because of the angle of it right like it's always kind of holding itself up because of that at the back it like has to come up so the muscles are always active there i would assume yeah and i feel that my tongue's too big for my mouth so i feel it's constantly like doing a little mexican wave or something just stay in my mouth um i'm quite lazy to be honest with mine like that's one of the things i had to work on the most with singing is that my tongue is really lazy and it's always in the way because i'm lazy (laughs) so i have to like actively engage it so much um I'm quite similar, actually. Yeah, I'm the same. Well, I actually, I think one thing that I did learn when I was in America was that we, as with English accents, are lazier with our tongue because Mm. Americans use their tongue so much. They just use the whole, every part of their mouth is used so much in their accent when they speak, whereas we, like, cut out as much as we can. (laughs) It's a really good point as well because, like, when we, I remember when we were trying to learn how to do Scottish and Irish accents loads of us couldn't manage it because of our tongue placement yeah an irish accent uh, yeah uses a lot of muscle if you put your tongue out it's always moving it's always moving your tongue is active when you're breathing because it has to stay out of the way so it yeah it, it like couldn't really ever be resting because otherwise you would not be breathing <laughs> <laughs> you would just not be breathing <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for that question. That is okay. I learned something new today. Let me play you off. Let me play you off with uh, some Rihanna. That's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> oh, I fucked it. See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>